Um, note the time change. Um, excuse me, not the time change, the day change. Yeah, it even says it. New, new day of the week, same time. All right, so we now have Wednesday night Bible study at 6.30. All right, so Wednesday night Bible studies are on Wednesdays now. Does that make sense? Amen. All right, 6.30. So uh, then uh, that, that's going to be this Wednesday and, and from here on out, so y'all remember that. Uh, then this Thursday, uh, the 27th, uh, the seniors are going to have a meeting in the back and have games and food and all kinds of stuff. They might even have a pony ride or something. I'm drumming up business for you. <laughs> if there's not a pony, then Danny's giving piggyback rides. All right. So that sounds good. Some of y'all might just come to see that. <laughs> but y'all come and uh, enjoy the games of food. Any questions, see Danny and Brenda. Um, then next Sunday, January the 30th, uh, at the evening service, we're going to have um, at the beginning portion of the service, a Lord's Supper time, and then as well, uh, following the Lord's Supper, we will have baptism. And so grateful for that. If you or uh, anybody in here today that needs to get baptized um, and, and have questions about it, please come see me after service. I'd love to talk with you about it, get you uh, planned and scheduled and all that stuff. We've got plenty of water for everybody. We can dunk you, okay? Um, then Saturday, February the 5th, um, at 8 o'clock, we're going to have a men's prayer breakfast here at the church in the fellowship hall, and we just ask that everybody bring a, uh, some sort of breakfast item, all right, to share around with everybody, unless you just bring your own and you don't want to share, but just come and have breakfast, have prayer, uh, there'll be whatever you bring, so if you bring bacon, there's bacon, and if that's all you bring, then we're going to have a good day, all right, um, so we'll have a good time there with that, but come if you can at 8 o'clock, and we'll have some good fellowship for any guys. Uh, you have a little uh, insert. Today we're celebrating the sanctity of human life. Um, today is sort of the National um, Sanctity Sunday. Um, and so this evening is when we're going to celebrate this. But I want you to put this, remind you, put it on your refrigerator for tonight, remind you to, to come back tonight. Uh, but what we're going to do is tonight we're going to focus in on the issues of pro-life and what it means to be pro-life, why we are pro-life. And we're going to deal with the issues of um, why abortion is so uh, in such a, an, an atrocity. Um, there you have the statistic, and I'll give you some more statistics and things, not just about abortion, but the development of, of babies, human child um, in the womb uh, tonight. So I encourage you to come tonight, and we're going to have a special time uh, of prayer uh, over this. But um, anyways, let's go ahead and begin this morning by, by praying, asking the Lord to bless our service in this day. And then we're going to praise the Lord today, and that's why we're here. Well, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for each one that's here. I'm grateful that we can gather, that we can worship you, Lord. I pray that you would prepare our hearts now to sing praises to you. God, that today, if we have a need of our heart, Lord, that you would meet it through your word, through your spirit, through the fellowship with one another. God, just um, through you demonstrating your goodness and faithfulness to us, God, help us to trust in you, to rest in you, and Lord, to, to just watch you work today. God, I pray that you would... Um, demonstrate your glory to us in your, in your presence, Lord, that we would be changed today through your word and through this time. God, we give this uh, hour over to you now, Lord, that you would bless it, that you would encourage us, that you would meet the need of every heart today. Lord, today, especially if there's one who needs to be saved, I pray that you would save them. Lord, if there's one who needs conviction, bring conviction. If there's one who, who needs encouragement, bring encouragement, God. We thank you for this time, and Lord, we lift it up to you now, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Turn to hymn number 
500 if you desire to. We'll have the song in our screen, overhead screens. And uh, saved, saved. Uh, Titus 3.5 says, according to his mercy, he saved us. By his mercy. Saved. I enjoy singing this song because the Lord has saved me. Amen. I found a friend who is all to me. His love is ever true. I love to tell how he lifted me and what his grace can do for you. has come. Hymn number 386, John 14, 16 says, The Father shall give you another comforter. And we know the comforter is the Holy Spirit of God. The comforter has come. Oh, spread the tidings round wherever man is found wherever human hearts and human woes abound let every christian time proclaim the joyful sound the
silver hymn number 88 lord you are more precious than silver thou art my lord apart from thee i have no good thing psalm 16 2 without him we have nothing more precious than silver So turn around, look left, look right, and wave and smile and make sure you make everybody feel welcome this morning. Okay. Well, we have uh, some very special music now. I didn't know this. Uh, she plays the piano. So that would be a real blessing to all of us to hear her sing and play the piano. So Miss Cammy, let me adjust her mic for her.
I am not a piano player. <laughs> um, I just do the best with what I can. So, here we go. It's a blessing when I see the dark clouds parting. When the rain is gone and sun is breaking through. I anticipate when life will just be And close my weary eyes and rest in you. My heart can rest so easy when there's blue skies. When the wind is gone and rain is not inside. How I long to hang my sword above the mantle. Away from harm and
your mercies all unfold. Sure, it's a blessing to be safe, secure, and warm. But Lord, I want to thank you for the storm. If my life were free of trials, Lord, I'd lose my view of you. There's sweet trophies that remind me of all you do. Sure, it's a blessing to be safe, secure, and warm. But Lord, I want to thank you for the storm. I'm still safe, secure, and warm. And Lord, I want to Lord for the storms in our life they ain't too fun while they're happening but we have a refuge and that's our Lord Jesus Christ thank you for that song hymn number 10 stand with us as we sing majesty our God is a majestic God and let's sing unto him thine O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty, majesty, as we give our piano player time to get all sorted out there, bless her. Majesty, worship his majesty. Appreciate the worship this morning, and I believe the Lord has been worshiped today, and uh, the worship doesn't stop now. Worship continues going, and through our hearts as we hear the Word of God, 
and uh, I'm grateful for uh, those who have helped out today and who, who have sung and things, and I'm grateful for that song, not just because she's my wife, but grateful for that song, and uh, there's nothing sweeter than listening to your wife learn songs and praise the Lord in another room while you privately get to worship the Lord too, and uh, it's sweet, but anyways, um, any kids ages four to six? All right. Any adults? <laughs> All right. It's the rest of y'all. Y'all, y'all are here. <laughs> you, you guys can get a juice box afterwards. See the usher on your way out. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead and take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter number two this morning. Acts chapter number two. We'll preach all 47 verses this morning. <laughs> Somebody said do it. Somebody did. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh boy. No, I'm just playing with you. Uh, as we've been going through our sort of our vision statement and what, what this looks like and what it means, all these different pieces and parts for our new year and what makes up our, our mission and our vision, we've talked about uh, the past couple of weeks, genuine worship, what it means to, to have genuine worship in our own hearts, let alone publicly as a church. And, and praise God, uh, I hope that what has just taken place was not a show. And, and I've known many of these folks, that the hearts and talked to them, I believe that these are some genuine people leading us in worship, but I believe what often happens is in our pews is that when we sing, we don't often have the same genuineness. But then we talked about our discipleship, and we know how to make programs. We know how to do Sunday school and things like that, but we struggle with being disciples first, let alone making disciples. We need to be genuine disciples. Now we look back at our next uh, part of what makes up our, our vision here at this church it's fellowship, fellowship, and this is that verse, Acts chapter number 2, verse number 42, and this is going to be our focal point today, this verse, to have genuine fellowship. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted, unto, uh, parted them to all men as every man had need. Let me pause right there for just a moment. No, this is not advocating socialism. No, this is also not advocating to not have personal property. What this means is during the first century, literally during the first early days of the church, to those who had need, what they did is they took care of their people. This advocates and promotes and proclaims and commands that the people of God take care of the people of God does not mean that you can't have a 401k or a truck or a farm or land, all right? Have what's yours, but if you have a brother or sister in need, take care of them. Make sense? All right. Go capitalist, right? Verse 46. They continue, look at this, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house did eat their bread with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. God, we come to you. We thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for the songs that have been sung this morning, for the worship that has been had. And God, I pray that now, today, the worship will continue, that we would be committed disciples, that we would be genuine now in our fellowship with you first, in your word, and with one another. God, I pray that you would clear my heart and my mind and allow me to preach boldly and accurately according to your word. And God, that today, that you would address the needs of every heart in here today. 
Lord, that you would accomplish what only you can do. God, I pray that our hearts would be drawn to you and drawn closer together, Lord, that we would be knit together with one accord, especially in these dark and difficult days. God, help us to realize not only our need of you, but our need for each other. Lord, help us now through your word and through your spirit. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What it means to be able to have genuine fellowship, the first word that probably comes, or first thing that probably comes to your mind when we hear church plus fellowship equals bucket of chicken in the back fellowship hall, right? Okay. Amen. Praise God for that, right? We're Baptists. It said we meet to eat. They've been meeting to eat for, for many a years, right? Matter of fact, as we've just talked about, as we're going to see in just a few moments, they literally broke bread together from house to house. When they met and they worshiped and they prayed and they preached, they also then ate. They not only came for the nourishment of the Word of God and for fellowship, though, with one another, but they came as well for food. It was a, a great, uh, not just a pastime, but it brings people together. Nothing truly does bring people together quite like food, right? If we said that every week we were having some sort of meal or food, this place would be busting out the seams. People come for food, but I mean, praise the Lord for it, but people do. Now, with fellowship, though, we're not just talking and dealing with a fellowship hall and fellowship meals. We're going to be talking about what it means to have genuine fellowship with the Lord and genuine fellowship with one another. And both of those things don't just happen in the back fellowship hall when we have it on our church calendar and in our bulletin and we have potlucks. This is to happen daily. It's a part of what it means to be a member of the local body of Christ. It's what it means to be a true member of the church of God. To be a member, by the way, of being of a local church does not just mean that you came forward, signed a card, an application, and, and, and we turned you around and made you smile, and we said, Who, who's fine with this person, state your name, being a member of the church? And we said, okay, we are, right? Because who doesn't want another member of the church, right? And then what they often say about Baptists is, as soon as they become a member of the church, be the last time you see them. It's unfortunately the sad reality in most cases because I'm afraid we don't take church membership serious enough because we don't take fellowship serious enough. Fellowship is not just cutting up and carrying on and having a cup of coffee and enjoying cake and cookies in the back. Fellowship is what we do as a church of God. When you come in through those back doors, you don't just come to open up a hymn book or look up at the screen and sing words that are presented and to hear a special and to hear the Bible preached. Those are all great things. But we come because we need each other. And we need to have genuine fellowship in our lives because for most of us, we're going to be so busy this week that you're not going to have time to, 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 hold, to, to sit still, let alone to be able to, to meet with one another and all these things or to come back here. If this is the only time that you have fellowship and this is the only time that you have discipleship and this is the only time you have worship in your life, you are starved to death. We need fellowship. The sad reality of today that most members aren't members, they're attendees. The church needs you, and you need the church. We need each other. And unfortunately, since COVID, it has become the easy thing to do to stay at home, to watch online, and staying at home and watching online turning into just staying at home, turning online on and going about your regular day and saying you did church, that's not church. Online church does not replace church. If you are healthy and able, get to church. If you're sick, stay home. That's what it's there for. But as soon as you're healthy, come on back. We need the fellowship. Did anyone else notice that? Even just sitting in your cars during outdoor services? Short services are great, but you miss each other. And if you don't miss one another, then there is a heart problem. You should long to be with fellow believers. 
We should not be at the point in the place, especially here in a small town where we're in Walmart or Dollar General and we see somebody from church around the aisle and they don't see us and we go the other way and try to escape. Don't pretend y'all haven't done that, okay? I've done it. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, can y'all we, we be honest? We should not be at that place, should we? We should be at the place where we see our brother or sister in Christ. And literally in the New Testament, now granted we won't do it now and for more reasons than, than COVID, but they would literally greet each other with a holy kiss. They would greet each other with warm handshakes and hugs and were genuinely excited to see each other. Unfortunately, many people have become so consumerist in churches that we come to church and we just go, well, I like church, I like the music, or the preacher's okay, uh, or so-and-so, or my family goes, that part's good, but I just kind of tolerate with the rest of everybody, right? The church is not Walmart, right? We're not here to just be consumers, and we're not here to try to escape from everybody and get in and get out. We're here to fellowship with the Lord our God, to meet with Him as He meets with us through His Word and through worship. And we are here to meet in fellowship with one another. I love nothing more than having to rush people or to kind of scoot people out an hour after the service because I'm going, hey, I'm turning the lights out. You can talk, but you can talk outside. Because they want to be around each other. Because they have things in common. Notice, though, as we're going to see, this does not mean that everyone believed everything the exact same, nor does it mean that everyone was robots, nor does it mean that everyone had the same personality, because that's not the way we work. That's not the way God designed us to work. But God designed the church of all these personalities, all these preferences, all these walks of life to come together as one body. That's the beauty of the local church. Now, here to help give you some context of this whole chapter, I know I joked about preaching all 47 verses and if you guys are on good behavior, I won't do that. But just to help get speed you up a little bit, uh, Acts chapter 2 is a day of Pentecost. This is shortly after, uh, a few days after Jesus has ascended unto the Father in Acts chapter 1. The, the cross has already happened. The resurrection has happened. Uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ has already paid the price for our sins. Uh, he who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He has borne the wrath of God on the cross. He has then been placed into a grave and then has raised to life on the third day to have this resurrection power over hell, death, and the grave and to then offer eternal life to all who would repent and believe. That's the good news of the gospel. And on the day of Pentecost, some great things happen. First, the coming of the Holy Spirit happens with the apostles. And what a sight to behold and what a moment and a time it is. And truly a picture of your own individual salvation. The moment you turn from your sins and trust Jesus, the Lord takes up residence. The Holy Spirit of God. The same Holy Spirit that the Apostle Peter had on this day when he stood up to preach is the same one that I've got, the same one that you've got. Let's not forget that. All right, Praise the Lord for that. That is what binds us and knits us together, truly, through the Spirit of God. The second is really, the, in some ways, the inauguration day of the church. Uh, the, the church and the, uh, the church age, the church movement, uh, the church itself is really birthed in this day. Then Peter preaches the gospel. Here's what Peter preaches. In Acts chapter 2, verse 21 to 24, it tells us this. As Peter is preaching, he says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what that means? Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today you are a whosoever, I am a whosoever. We must simply call upon the Lord Jesus Christ 
to be saved. It is the same on the day of Pentecost. It is the same today. And by the way, it has always been the same. There is no one who has ever been saved, been saved outside of by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is all a free gift of God through the work of Jesus, either looking forward to what Jesus would do or looking backward to what He has already been done, and that now we are saved to the uttermost. And in verse 22, He continues His preaching, and He says, You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Though they hated Jesus, though they wanted Jesus dead, and though they killed Jesus, they also knew that he had done some things that they could not explain. They had seen his life, they had seen his ministry, they had heard his teachings, and even it got to where a Pharisee comes in the night and says, I I know there's something different about you, Jesus, and I've got to get to the bottom of it. Praise God, that man was Nicodemus, and he'd be saved one day. But here they, they had seen Jesus, they had seen his impact, and then it says in verse 23, him... Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. That's some preaching from Peter, isn't it? He says, look, long before we even had this world spinning around the sun, God had determined that this would take place, and it has taken place. The cross was no accident. It was the divine plan of God to save your soul and mine. That whosoever would call upon the name, or would, will, will, and shall always be saved. This is the design of God. And then he says that you have taken, ye, meaning all y'all, have taken by wicked hands. Peter doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't try to go for the name it, claim it theology, or the prosperity gospel, or try to make people feel good to put money in the plate. On the first sermon, on the first day, of the first church service ever, Peter says, you bunch of wicked, vile sinners, it is you all who had slain Jesus. Because he's talking to the Jews. They wanted him dead. As a matter of fact, it's the same Jewish folks who had said, uh, on the day that Jesus was crucified, let his blood be on our hands. Once you know the blood of Jesus is upon every human being. He died because you sin and because I sin and because we cannot pay the price for our sin nor earn forgiveness of sin except the precious blood of Christ. He then tells, as he's preaching in verse 24, Whom God hath raised up, amen and amen, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. The grave could not hold him. The grave could not hold Jesus down. It was Jesus ever from before the foundations of the world who the divine plan was to come to die on that cross for sinners, but then to resurrect from the dead at the appointed time, place, and for the confirmation that His sacrifice is sufficient to save any and all who would call upon His name. That is the gospel today. If you do not know that gospel, you have now heard it. And today, may it be like as Peter preached it, that you would be pricked to your heart and know that you must be born again. Today, if you need to be born again, you don't have to wait to the end of this service. You must simply call out to God to save you, and by His mercy, as we've sung about earlier today, He will save your soul. Here then, towards the end, as we're getting closer, over in verse, uh, verse number 40, get to some good stuff. It says, and with many other words he testified and exhorted, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word, and they received it by faith, were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 
3,000 repent, believe, and are baptized in the body of Christ. The requirement of being a true church member in one of the two ordinances. Now we come to verse 42, our key verse for the day. It says, then, after they are saved, notice that there is immediate action, immediate response, because if you are truly saved, it will change your life. And it will change your life that instant, that moment. It does not mean that you'll be perfect in that instant, in that moment. It does not mean that you will never sin again in that instant, in that moment. It does not mean that you will not have struggles again, because that's the whole rest of our life of, of the sanctification process, where we grow continually to be more Christ-like daily. What this does, what this, this means, though, is that, that when you are saved, that there will be an immediate response, an immediate change, and here's what took place. It says then, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, first of all. Today, there's fellowship through precepts. We have fellowship through precepts. Here, the, word, the phrase continued steadfastly is important. It is uh, the, the Greek word proskaterio. It means pros, is the first part of the word. It implies motion, meaning uh, toward or forward something. And the second word, katerio, is to be strong, steadfast, firm, and to endure. The idea of this word is to be earnest towards, to persevere. It even has the meaning to keep on with devotion, to continue to do something with intense effort, to be attentive to, to be constantly diligent. Let me ask you, do you give that same sort of effort in being a member of the church of God? Do we give that same effort in our worship, whether you're leading singing or not? Let me ask you, do you give that same effort in being a disciple of Christ and, and making sure that those in your home and those in your Sunday school class or whatever it might be are, are, are truly discipled? Do you give that same sort of devotion and intense effort and attention and diligence to being in fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers. I can tell you this, as we joked earlier, we'll give plenty of effort to make sure we don't get seen in Walmart. But do we give plenty of effort to make sure that we are in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ? We then see it. We can almost imagine if we treated being a, a church member with the same sort of attitude as, as they did in this day, the moment they, they don't have to be told about a constitution and bylaws at this point. They've been saved. They have the Holy Spirit of God. And guess what they have? They have an obedience to the Word of God, to the precepts, as we see the Apostles' Doctrine, the Word of God, and they're held captive to it. They know they need the Word, and they want the Word. And the Word changes them. And the Word gives them a new desire. And they realize that Christ is everything to them and should be everything to them. Christianity in this decision they have just made is not a halfway decision because for those Jewish folks on that day who got saved, literally what it meant, especially in that day, and what it means today for many in the world, especially someone who would be maybe from a Muslim background or an atheistic background, is it would mean that you're going to be totally shunned from your family, lose all friends, lose all privileges in your society, lose all the ability to do customs, to have fellowship with others, but it does mean that you can have fellowship with Christ. You see, fellowship is much more than just fried chicken in the back. Fellowship starts in your heart 
submitting to the Lord. The early believers in first church service was spirit-filled and totally unashamed and devoted to Jesus. Peter did not preach his preferences. He did not preach anything else except for Jesus. As a matter of fact, as you read through the book of Acts, you know what you find them preaching? Jesus. You know what we still find, folks, who, who, who are, are good preachers preaching? Jesus. You know what we still need preaching about? Jesus. We need Christ-centered preaching, but we need Christ-centered fellowship. Fellowship, by the way, is not two people who both don't like the same person talking about that person. That's still called gossiping and slandering and a lying tongue, things of which God says He hates. It's not fellowship. Fellowship is much deeper and much richer. Here to have fellowship through precepts. <clears throat> the precepts of the apostles' doctrine. Notice how they continued steadfastly in this. They're striving daily for it. They're steadfast for it. And I'm afraid that we've lost some of our steadfastness. I'm afraid that we've lost some of our devotion. This is the model not just of church services, but of every believer then to have this steadfastness. But then he says in the apostles' doctrine. Now here, the word precept, first of all, is that of a command or principle intended as a general rule of action. It calls us to do something. New believers need to be taught the precepts of God's Word. You've ever heard the phrase, line upon line, precept upon precept, right? It's the idea of taking the Word of God, opening the Word of God, reading the Word of God, proclaiming the Word of God, and, and uh, exegeting the Scriptures, meaning to, to take out of it what it is saying, not putting in and taking out what we think it means or what we want it to mean. It means we take the Word of God, it says and means what it means, and the historical, grammatical, cultural context for us today, and we understand how this then changes our life. And by the way, when we do read the Word of God, when we do hear preaching, when we do get alone with God and open up this book, it should change us. You may not be changed into SEAL Team 6 Christian, and there's no such thing, by the way, but it should change your heart in that moment to where you go, I love God a little bit more today because I've gotten into His Word. The Apostles' Doctrine here, they preach Christ. Before we go any further, if you ever hear anyone today in 2022 call themselves apostle, just do me a favor. Two things. One, look at them and say, no, you're not. And two, tell them if they don't like it and call me. Because <laughs> I'd love to do the same. <laughs> There's no such thing as apostles anymore. An apostle had to be directly, divinely sent by Christ, having to have seen the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus. You have not seen Jesus. I don't care what you've taken. I don't care what you've eaten. You have not seen him yet. One day we're going to. That's our blessed hope. All right? Furthermore, there was a certain set of apostles, and there's no more after that. The divine works and gifts that apostles had in that day have ceased. And if you think and hear someone say that they can heal the sick, or raise the dead, take them over here and go ahead and stop the funeral service and let them do it. Take them to the hospital and make sure everybody gets made whole. And if they can't do it, at them again. We need to stick to the Word, and this is the importance of it. This is why the apostles preached the Bible. They preached Jesus from the Old Testament, and by the way, you can do so from every, every book of the Bible. This book 
has this red line all the way through it pointing to Christ, the divine Logos, the Word of God Himself, the divine revelation of God, pointing to this beautiful picture, this beautiful message of what God has always de- declared. Is that there's a people who are sinful and lost and need saving, and the only way that they can be saved is through a mediator, through a redeemer, and that redeemer, that mediator is Christ Jesus. Now furthermore, though, the apostles, they did signs and, and wonders in verse 43, which were done by the apostles. This distinguishes the apostles and their teaching. And they do not preach their own stuff, but if you go back through, if you have a reference Bible, I encourage you, go through the book of Acts and you will find every single verse that Peter preaches goes back to Scripture in the Old Testament because that's all they got this time and that's what he preaches from. That's what they preached. God is doing a work though. God has given them this and has directly then allowed these folks and these folks in the New Testament to put this down into the canon of Scripture, which now is full and final and complete. There is no more adding to it. I don't care what you think. This is it. This is enough, and it should be enough. We submit to what God has given, not to what man has proclaimed, what man says. The New Testament will soon be written by the inspiration of God and is complete, final, and sufficient, and it still is today. And and the greatest danger of our day, and has been for some nearly 2,000 years, is the denial and rejection of God's Word. The Spirit then gives them this hunger to be steadfast about learning this doctrine. For them, the early church, they don't say, you know, doctrine's a little boring Apostle Peter, it's just not our thing. Could you give us something a little more upbeat? No. No, they want more doctrine. Why? Because they want to know Jesus and they want to know Him more. For some reason, we've lost that. And I believe it's because we've stopped being yielded to the Spirit of God as they were in that moment. Most of us, the the, the moment of salvation immediately after the Spirit comes in and dwells us and fills us and is just... Man, it, you're so full of joy and so everything. And now today, we walk in church, we're still trying to do the same thing as we do at Walmart. Not to be seen. Just to slip in and slip out. And we're created for much more than that. But the fellowship begins with two things. Fellowship in the Spirit of God, because you have the Spirit of God, and I have the Spirit of God. Fellowship. And secondly, the Word of God. The Spirit empowers Peter to preach the Word, and the Word transforms lives through the power of the preaching of the Word of God, through the power of the Spirit, pricking and changing hearts and drawing men into repentance. They now have fellowship, and a deeper fellowship than they ever had in Judaism, a deeper fellowship than they ever had in any of the festivals and feasts that they had, a deeper fellowship than they ever had with their family, flesh and blood. They now have fellowship through the Spirit of God, God Himself, and dwelling in them. You want to know something? probably the closest fellowship and relationships you will ever have will be with those who are in Christ. Those who are truly saved, most of you, you, you have good relationships maybe with some of your family, especially those that are saved, but those that aren't, you, you might not. That's unfortunately what takes place because the Spirit brings us together in a way that flesh and blood cannot. The Spirit is much deeper than flesh and blood. I thank God for church family, and by the way, it should be family. It should be viewed as family. And if we cease to have that same fellowship, then what happens is, especially now in a post-COVID world, is that we're afraid of everybody, or we stay to ourselves because we don't want to touch nobody, be around nobody, because you don't know what they got. You didn't know what they had before, and it didn't stop you from slinging chicken everywhere right next to them. What, 
What's going to stop you now? Your own fear? Your own thoughts and thinking? And truly, your own pride that says you can go it alone. We need the fellowship of God through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, and that's where it begins first. Let me ask you this. The Spirit of God gives a hunger for the Word of God, and it affects our head and our heart. Do you have a hunger for the Word? I mean, do you have a hunger? And let me ask you, do you actually submit to the Word? I know I don't all the time, but I sure want to. The Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. The second thing that we find as he preaches through here in the next two phrases, and fellowship and in breaking of bread. This is fellowship through practice. This is where the rubber meets the road. First of all, the word fellowship. The word fellowship, I've brought it before. It is the word koinonia. It comes from the same word koine, which is where we get the phrase koine Greek, which was the, the common language of the day. Because the word itself literally means common. And so koinonia is common or, or to one another. It is a sharing of mutual interest or things in common. It, it brings about an intimate fellowship or a deep closeness. The reason why this is important is because you were not designed to be alone. You were not designed to do this life alone. You were not especially designed to do your spiritual walk alone. No man is an island. We need one another. Third, when we see this though, the word fellowship is active. It is in the active tense. It is showing a joint participation and cooperation. Notice that joint participation and cooperation. Not too much joint participation and cooperation these days, is it? Unfortunately, over the past, I don't know, at least the past decade, it has certainly sped up, is that folks who come to church, folks who would even call themselves members of church, is that we come with a consumer mindset of what can I get out of it, not what can I put into it. I want you to know God did not call you to be a church member and you might say, well, I'm older and my health isn't good. Well, you can pray. You can write cards. You can send letters. You can encourage. Should I keep going? Because there's more stuff you can do. We limit ourselves with what we can do. But God says, there's an opportunity. If you'll say yes, I'll help you. We often say, well, I'm just praying for opportunities to witness, or I'm praying for opportunities to, to be a part, or I'm praying for opportunities to, to help out. Well, quit. Quit praying for opportunity and just look around. Just go fill it. Go be about it. Practice what we say we preach. This joint participation and cooperation in the church of God and in our own homes, in our own hearts, will only happen when we see the big picture. And the big picture is not you. The big picture is not me. The big picture is not whatever else we might think we bring to the table. The big picture is Christ and Christ alone. Jesus must be central. Jesus is central in their fellowship. Why? Because they might have different backgrounds and might have different economic standings, different places where they live, different thoughts, different personalities. And that's just talking about here, this church today, not even let alone the first century church. But you know what they had in common? They had Jesus in common. And that was enough. We are so quick and easy to make sure that we box out anybody who does not think, act, and do everything just like us. If that were the case, I would never read anybody, listen to anybody except for myself, and I don't agree with me half the time. You probably don't either. 
You think about this. We shut so many folks out because we say, if you're not just like me, we can't have fellowship. I can have fellowship through Christ. And one day the great thing is this. While we might have the sweetest of fellowship on this earth, there's coming a day whether if you're in Jesus, if you're in Jesus and they're in Jesus, you're going to have some good fellowship in heaven. Perhaps one of the greatest things and most forgotten things about heaven is that one day every bickering, every argument, every thing that we divided and, and separated on, which by the way, I do believe in biblical separation. But everything that we've divided and fought each other over that didn't matter for fellowship's sake, but we did anyways, isn't going to matter no more. Praise God for it. See, if you love Jesus, you're going to love one another. Jesus is central in this. I want to read for you Ephesians chapter 4. This is a key text in understanding what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, what it means to have fellowship with the Father and one in Christ through the Spirit. Here, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us this in verse number 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Where's our unity? Through the Spirit. If you're saved, there's to be unity. There's to be fellowship of one anothering each other. Of really being there for one another. He says there is one body, one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. He's talking about some gifts, which, by the way, everyone in here has a gift. You're, you're geared for something. Your personality. You're, uh, not everyone is meant to be a nursery worker. Some of y'all are too grumpy to do it. Some of y'all are meant to serve tables. Some of y'all are meant to put up tables and chairs. Some of y'all are meant to send out cards. Some of y'all are meant to do a whole lot of things. But are we willing to do those things? That's the key. Here, verse number 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting or the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind and doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What does that tell me? You have a part to play in this church moving forward. It is a part of not just worship and discipleship, but of our fellowship with each other. That it is going to be absolutely critical and key to start liking, even loving each other. Unfortunately, we have every excuse in the book to say no to it. We give every excuse in the book to shut each other out. I'll see you Sunday, but don't let me see you in between. This should never be so. You see, those of us who are now in the light have fellowship in the light of Christ no longer in darkness. Therefore, we should walk in the light together to help one another, to edify one another. Our fellowship with each other 
must be genuine. But it will only be genuine if our walk with Christ first is genuine. If we are truly submitting. For them in this day in Acts 2.44, it describes how they love one another daily, not just on Sunday mornings with a smile and a handshake. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and every man had, that every man has need. And they, cont- they continuing daily. You know something, when you leave this church, you don't take off being a Christian. When you go home, you don't put off being a Christian. When you go to work, you don't put off being a Christian. You don't stop being a worshiper of God or a disciple of God. It either is who you is or you ain't who you ain't. It says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were glad to do it. They had a gladness because look at what God has done. Now we're knitted together. We're united together. And we go from house to house breaking of bread, eating and fellowshipping and enjoying one another and learning about each other and helping each other. <coughs> Excuse me. The sad truth of where we are as a church in America, and we could even say for ourselves, is that we often can't pray, help, talk to other people because we're too afraid to open up to each other. We, we don't fellowship and have true fellowship with each other. We might all be the members of the same body, but yet we don't know each other's names. We don't know our families. We don't know our needs. We're too afraid to share our needs. We're too afraid to share our wants, our wishes, our dreams, our gifts, our talents, our hope. Look around. You might be on a pew by yourself or even on your own end, but look around. There's somebody in here today who you don't know probably like you should. Somebody in here today who you probably don't know their name. There's many of you who will myself included, who will only see people by a face in a pew. And we might say hi, we might greet them, but we have no accountability with them and vice versa. This is why people and many members of the church of God unfortunately drift about and they get lost in the shuffle, out of sight, out of mind. This is why we need to stay in contact with each other, to know each other, to love each other, to help each other, to be in communication to, to share a meal every now and again with somebody or a cup of coffee or just a phone call or a card, just to, to get to know somebody else. Share your story. Share your testimony. Share your table. Second thing is the breaking of bread. This is twofold. First of all, the breaking of bread is literally in its basic sense, fellowship meals together with grateful hearts that praise God. I don't know that they had KFC at this time, but if they did, they would have had it. They ate. And they gathered together, they heard the word, they prayed together, they ate together for a couple of reasons. There is joy and reverence both publicly and privately when fellowship over a meal takes place. They had gladness of heart. Why? Because to fill your belly does fill you up, doesn't it? It brings some joy. There's nothing sweeter. But there's something sweeter when you do it with a brother and sister in the faith. Now, what does eating together do? First of all, it guards our down. You kind of sit back a little bit. You relax a little bit. You're not so on edge and trying to be perfect because you're not just in this room. You're out at a restaurant or you're in someone's home, and it's pretty hard to be stuck up inside of a home or in a restaurant. 
The guards come down and it's a whole lot easier to talk and to learn about each other, to laugh, to joke, to, to say, well, oh, how'd you grow up? Where are you from? What, what do you like? You like sports? Do you not like sports? You like the fish? You like the... And to simply talk. The second thing, though, is that everyone is equal at mealtime. Everyone's going to get to eat. You see, one of the issues that the Apostle Paul faced over in 1 Corinthians when he deals with the administering of the Lord's Supper is that there were many who were coming and they would have a meal first with all this before they, as we see the second part, breaking bread for the Lord's Supper. And there were many who would come and they'd eat everything and they'd drink everything. And there wasn't any left for poor folks or people who had to work or didn't get off and didn't get to come right on time. And there was, there was no unity because how, how would you feel, right, if you were helping somebody get to their car who didn't stay for fellowship and you came back to the fellowship hall and there wasn't even a chicken leg left? Would you feel very included? Not so much, would you? Because this is important. That in the fellowship of God, we are equal because we're equal at the foot of the cross. Sinners who are saved by grace. The second thing, though, of what it means to break bread is the Lord's Supper. We are reminded of the same night that Jesus partook and says that He break bread. He said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper certainly was taking place during this time. The apostles would have carried it on and it did carry on all throughout the early church and still to this day. This is why it is a special and a sacred time. Because it does bring us into fellowship with each other. There's a reason why those and only those who are saved are to partake. Because there is a fellowship together. That we're all doing the same thing. But there's a fellowship in what Christ has done for us. We must always remember Jesus' work and centrality from worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach, everything must be built around Christ. Lastly, he continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, right, our precepts, and the practice of fellowship and breaking of bread, as well as in prayers. There is a power and a prominence of prayer all throughout the book of Acts. It is a foundation of the church. It's a foundation of our Christian walk to commune with God, to have fellowship with God is how we pray. It's really what it is at its root. We need to pray, even to wrestle at times in our prayer life. To get alone with God. I'm afraid that most of us don't know what that's like anymore, so we certainly are too afraid to pray in public, let alone to pray in small groups, or to pray out loud in case somebody might hear us. We must pray first. We must have hearts that are full of prayer. By the way, if we pray too much, let me know. Okay, and we'll pray some more because that would just mean that we're not praying enough. We need prayer. There's no better fellowship with God than in prayer. At times, even to be still. As the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf and Christ prays as our intercessor, I often say that the greatest thing about my prayer life is not anything that I do or any of my routines, but it's rather that the Spirit prays for me and Christ prays for me. And the fact that at any and all time I can go to God, not because of who I am, but because of who He is and what He has done. Let me ask you, do you pray for fellowship? It's the last time you prayed, God help me to be a better friend. Not the opposite of going, Lord, help them to be a better 
Because we're good at praying those prayers. But may it be us first. When we see the importance of prayer in the first two chapters of Acts, and I could go on in a million other verses in the book of Acts, I encourage you to do so one day. Acts 1.14 says, These all continued, and this just gave the whole long list of folks up in the upper room, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So you know what Jesus ascends? You know what they decide that they can do? Because they don't know what else to do? They pray. They're like, there he goes. What do we do now? Well, we'll pray. Let's pray. They gathered and they prayed. You know what happens and then in Acts chapter 2, as the Spirit comes in verse number 1? When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. You want to reckon what they was doing? Praying. All throughout the book of Acts and all throughout church history, we find that not just every revival and every renewal or awakening came, but every heart that has ever been touched by God, every heart that has ever been used of God in the local church, let alone in the world, has been someone powered and committed to persistent prayer. Now, what did they pray for? I believe, first of all, in the immediate context, they certainly prayed for Jesus' return. They had literally, before he ascends, they're going, so you're going to set the kingdom now, right? And he says, right? I'm assuming he did that. I would have at that point. He tells them what he's going to do, and he says, you're going to go be my witnesses. It's not yet time for the kingdom. Go be my witnesses until it is time. And then he goes up. They look up. And the angels say, you say, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus was taken up from you into heaven shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And they go, okay, well, let's go pray, then we'll go preach. That's our calling today still, by the way. Pray. Preach. And praise the Lord doing it. We overcomplicate church. We overcomplicate fellowship. We overcomplicate outreach. We overcomplicate discipleship. And over, we overcomplicate everything. You name it. Church is simple if we just simply trust Christ. Second thing I believe they were praying for is the salvation of souls. They'd just been told to take the gospel and go out. And I believe they're praying, God, prepare the harvest. I don't believe that revival takes place in the Holy Spirit, uh, on the video of Pentecost. One, it happens because the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't happen just because Peter's a good preacher. It happens certainly because the Holy Spirit comes, but I believe that there's something else behind it, and I believe it's an awful lot of these folks praying in an upper room that God would do great things. And the Spirit of God moved, and souls were saved. I believe as well that they're praying for the unity in the body. This is as well the goal and the prayer of Jesus. Jesus prayed for His future disciples and, and followers that they would be united. Boy, how far we've gone. I believe fourth, they're praying as well. Personal needs to be used of God with their personal gifts. Because then we find at the end of chapter 2 is that by then they're answering each other's prayer by giving and taking care of each other and meeting the needs and being the hands and feet of Christ as they should be. You know, during this time, I don't know if there was any church rifts on day one of the church, but it's quite possible. I do know this. In church hurts, there's nothing quite like it, it seems. But when have we prayed for those that have despite, despitefully or deceitfully used us? When have we prayed for those who did harm? Not that they would just get right with God or go on somewhere. 
that they would have their hearts touched and that we would have our hearts touched as well towards them. That fellowship would be restored and renewed. It's hard to pray angrily when you're praying for someone that Jesus loves. In case you were wondering, that's everybody. When we talk about prayer, I believe that many knew a whole lot more about it in years gone by because there was not near as many distractions that we have today. We can blame the distractions or what we can do is kick the distractions and chuck them in the trash can and learn what it means to get alone with God. What it means to stay up in the night watch. Wake up in the middle of the night not to decide to scroll on a phone, but instead to pray earnestly. Pray until you fall asleep. Pray until God moves. Then to pray some more. I would rather be known as a man of prayer than a good preacher. I would rather the church be known as a praying church than a church that has a really good this or that. We need prayer. And there's sweet fellowship in prayer. Prayer makes the believer. Prayer makes the church. Prayer makes our fellowship. Today as we bring this all to a close, I want to ask you today, are you living in genuine fellowship right now with God? You very well may be saved, but right now you might feel very far from God and it would be because not your position in Christ has changed, but because your fellowship has. Because perhaps for maybe a portion of time right now you've been submitting a lot to the flesh and not to the Spirit. Maybe you've been far or wayward and you have not been able to enjoy the fellowship of not just God, but of other Christians and you desperately need it. Today's the day, dear friend. The Lord says to all who come to Him, He will no wise cast out. If you want to talk about fellowship, that's fellowship in it. Talking about knocking out a door and letting me in and He'd gladly sup with you. That there is sweet fellowship with Christ the moment we open up and say, Lord, come. Let me ask you as well. You probably already know the answer. If I were to ask a broader term, is this church a united church? There would be many who say, sure. But if we were to be able to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, would we still say it? Would we be able to say, this is a church that loves fellowship? Now, when I say that there are churches that love fellowship, what that often means is there, there are churches that love to get together, eat, and go home. You love fellowship if you love those you fellowship with. If you love fellowship for the food, then you love food, not fellowship. We need each other. Let me ask you this. Is there anything keeping you today from having fellowship with God? Or how about maybe even a little bit tougher? Is there anything that's keeping you from having fellowship with somebody across the aisle today? Somebody in your family? Somebody that I used to talk to? I used to, or they used to? If you do, now's the time to do something about it.
Today, may each of us come to Jesus and experience the Christian life as it is meant to be. Not alone, but rather in sweet fellowship with the Spirit, by the Spirit, through the Spirit, in the Spirit, with one another. May God help us to have genuine fellowship today. Let's all stand this morning. If you have a need, if this is you today and you need fellowship with God, would you come today? Today, if you need fellowship with other believers, would you come today? Today, if you might not be the one that has to move down to the altar, but there are others who do, why don't you go let them know they're not alone and go pray. I want to remind everyone tonight, uh, tonight to come back. hope to encourage you to come back tonight as we celebrate and discuss the sanctity of life. Encourage others who might have questions about the issues. And uh, pray. And may we come tonight and fellowship together through it. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time. God, grateful for your word. Grateful for the worship lifted. Grateful for your presence today. Pray that you would stir within our hearts. Lord, give us fellowship. Give us genuine worship and Give us genuine hearts that genuinely love you and love your people. Lord, go with us now and use us. In Christ's name, amen. Bless thee, O Lord. Hymn 174. Thus will I bless thee while I live. Remember that. I will lift my hands in thy name. Psalm 63, 4. I will bless thee, O Lord. I will bless thee, O Lord. With the heart of thanksgiving, I will bless thee, O Lord. I practice this with my hands lifted up.